Good morning. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a tall fellow. Uh, I've been tall most of my life. Not all my life. Like it didn't come out six foot. That would be weird. And I would imagine super painful. But I've been tall for a long time. And that's, that's had a lot of benefits. Like I always looked a little bit older than I was. Uh, I feel like a low-level superhero sometimes at the grocery store. I was there the other, uh, like a couple weeks ago, and this sweet old lady was standing in an aisle, like looking at something, and I'm like, ma'am, can I get that for you? So yeah, as I reached out, like, is this what you were looking for? (laughs) I'm just reaching stuff left and right. But one of the challenges of being a tall, at least for me, was that my center of gravity is about like here. So things that required balance, I was not super great at. Skateboarding always eluded me. Um, It just felt like I was asking to die. A kid's balance beam at like a preschool is about my limit. Like that's about the highest my skill level can go in balancing. And so stuff like that just wasn't particularly great at. Um, Friend of mine was into uh, slacklining. You know, we're gonna show you a picture of slacklining. It's like like basically walking a tightrope. You know, it's like, yeah. And that is like a foot off the ground and she even is like holding a hand. I'm like, yeah, I couldn't do that. That's, that wouldn't end well. That wouldn't end well for me. So if I'm not willing to do that, I'm definitely not willing to do something crazier than that. But in 1974, Philippe Petit did just that. He had this dream when the World Trade Centers were built. He had this dream that he wanted to span a wire between them and walk across it. And just to refresh your memory what they look like, this, they're tall buildings. Real tall. Not like slightly tall, real tall. In fact, uh, the gap between these two towers was 138 feet, and they were 1,368 feet above the ground. That's a quarter mile. But he had this dream, and so he did it. In August 7, 1974, he and his co-conspirators set this wire up, and he walks across it. Take a look at what that was like. Yeah, do you see a safety harness? Yeah, it's because he's not wearing one. No, no security, no safety wire, no, no safety harness, no nothing. He is free walking on that wire. He went back and forth eight times. At one point, he laid down in the middle of it. I can't even look at that picture without feeling like I'm 10 seconds away from throwing up. And he's out there walking back and forth. I mean, look at that. That is so high. What I love about this story, though, is this didn't just happen. He didn't wake up one day and be like, I am going to walk across. Well, he would have said it in French because he's French, but I'm going to walk across. He didn't just do it. He'd been planning this for six years. It took a tremendous amount of preparation. It took a community of people to help him pull it off. He didn't just go and do it. He had a plan, and he had to work the steps to that plan. And both during the planning and while walking on the wire, Philippe knew that in order to get where he wanted to go, he had to take the next step. Had to take the next step. And that's something that we care a lot about as a church. As we continue our series on our values, second to last value we're going to talk about is about next steps. We relentlessly pursue next steps. And what we mean by that is we believe we all need to be growing in our relationship with Jesus and in community with each other, and we do that by taking next steps. We're going to look at a story this morning that shows some of these next steps and what that's like. I love this story. It's in Luke chapter 5. If you've got a Bible, you can open up to that. Luke chapter 5 is verse 1. 
So Jesus is preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, which is in northern Israel, and these crowds are following him, and they press in on him to hear him and to listen to the word of God. And he sees these two empty boats that are at the water's edge because the fishermen who own these boats are, wa- are washing out their nets because it's the end of the day. And Jesus says to one of them, he gets in the boat and he says to this guy, Peter, can you uh, push out into the water? And so he sat in the boat and he taught the crowds there. And the reason he did that is at this part of the Sea of Galilee, the land slopes down to the water. And so when Jesus would be out in this little boat, it would create a natural amphitheater. So he could speak to these crowds and they could hear him better and he, and he could get more access to more people. And so he sits in this boat and he teaches them. And it says, when he's done speaking, he says to Peter, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. And I think if we didn't know any better, we hear that. We're like, okay, so Jesus says, go catch some fish. Great. But what we need to understand is this wasn't just like an innocuous statement. This isn't just like no big deal, go catch some fish. This is a crazy thing that Jesus is saying. This is a crazy statement. And it's crazy for a bunch of reasons. Uh, The first one is this. Peter is an expert fisherman. Peter knows what he's doing. He's taken over. It's a family business, and he's fished his whole life. He's fished these waters. He knows what he's talking about. It's his livelihood. He is an expert. He's a master fisherman. Jesus, by trade, was a carpenter. How do you feel at work when you're doing your thing, and someone, one of your friends, maybe a family member, comes in with no expertise at all about about what you do, and they offer helpful and unsolicited advice? How's that go over with you? It's really fun, isn't it? Like, I'm sure the mechanics love when they're working on my car, and I'm like, oh, maybe it's the, like, the thing with, like, the, I don't even know what the names are. I can't be helpful. They, mu- they must be just thinking in their minds, like, just be gracious till he leaves. It'll be soon. Nobody loves that kind of unsolicited advice, particularly when they, you, don't, you know your friend does not know what they're saying. Jesus is a carpenter, and he was offering this, this unsolicited advice to a, an expert fisherman. I, you imagine Peter's like, dude, I know what I'm doing. The, one of the other reasons this was crazy is that it's, it would seem to fishermen like really bad advice. Because the way they fished then was they would cast out these nets that had weights on the sides, weights on, on the edges of the net, and the net would hit the water, and the weights would sink down, and it would trap the fish. It would, it would go down to the, to the they'd fish in the shallows and it would hit the shallows so the fish couldn't swim out and they'd pull it and the weights would pull the net closed and that's how they would catch these fish. And so what Jesus is saying is go out into deeper water. It's like, you don't fish in deeper water. There's no laser range finder for fish 2,000 years ago. You're not plugging something onto the front of the boats. Like you just didn't do that because if you managed to find some fish and you threw out your net, they'd just swim out the bottom. Peter knew where to catch fish. He's like, you catch them in the shallows. You catch them where the springs feed into the Sea of Galilee, into this lake. You, you throw your net out where you can trap them on the bottom. Like that, that's where you go. So Jesus is giving what seems like really bad fishing advice. But then there's even one more reason why this is crazy. Peter goes on to say in verse five, master, he says, we worked hard all last night. It didn't catch a thing. So he's going, dude, I'm tired We had a super unsuccessful night. I didn't make any money. We didn't catch anything. I just want to go home. Imagine you've just worked a double shift. You're exhausted, and someone gives you what seems like very bad advice, unsolicited. Like, man, that's that's like the hardest time to be gracious, right? That's when you're realizing, no, I'm going to say something I'm going to have to apologize for. (laughs) But what does Peter say? He has all these reasons to say no, but he says, but if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And so 
He does. And it, the story continues to say, at this time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. So many fish that the nets began to rip. And so they call over an, another boat and soon both boats are so filled with fish they're on the verge of sinking. How many fish does it take to sink two boats? How many fish does it take to threaten the structural integrity of two separate boats? I'm not a fisherman, but it seems like the answer would be a lot. These guys are just blown away. And when Peter realizes this, when he sees it, he falls to his knees before Jesus and says, oh Lord, please lead me, I'm such a sinful man. He refers to Jesus differently. First it was master, but now it's Lord because he knows something is different about this guy. For this radical thing to happen, there must be something different about him. And they are so blown away. Jesus says to them, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And let's be honest, that might have sounded a little bit weird to Peter. Fishing for people, the most dangerous game. Like, what, what does that mean? But they hear this, and as soon as they got back to shore, as soon as they got back to shore, they left everything and followed Jesus. I love this story because we see Peter and we see these guys, they're willing to take next steps. They're willing to take next steps. And as we dig into this, we're going to start, we're going to look at a couple questions. And the first one is this, why do next steps matter? We care about them a lot and it's fair for you to go, well, why do they matter? Well, Jesus called these men and he calls us to take steps of faith, to take next steps. And we grow when we're willing to take them. We grow when we're willing to take them. Because folks, we're on a spiritual journey it's not a spiritual destination. It's a spiritual journey. We're moving somewhere. We're always moving forward. We're progressing. Salvation, trusting in Jesus, knowing Jesus as your Savior, that's not the end of the story. That's the beginning. That's where it starts. So we don't come to know Jesus and then sit back and be like, I'm done. That's all I need. There's nothing else. All the work is done. No, it, that's the beginning of our journey because we have the chance to, to deepen in our understanding of who God is and how much he loves us. Salvation is in the end. It's the beginning. We're on this journey. I love, uh, I love like, nature documentaries, and I, and I found out the other day that not all sharks, but, but a lot of sharks, have to keep swimming in order to stay alive. Like, they, they have to constantly be swimming because uh, they need oxygen, and the water passes over their gills, and that's how they pull oxygen out, out of the water. That's how they breathe. That's really how they survive. They constantly have to be moving. If they stop, they die. And that's true for us. If we, if we stop on our spiritual journey, we stagnate. We have to keep moving forward. That's how we grow. And growth is, is important for us. And not just because you don't want to stay 12 inches and 8 pounds, 14 ounces for the rest of your life. Because that's a very small person. Like, you want to do things. You, getting big is great because you're just, there's, there's movies. I can go to a movie. I, I can feed myself without throwing it on the floor like my son. But he's cute. I mean, that's why they come out cute. You know, we, we, we want to grow. We, we are always looking for, particularly when we're younger, what's next? The next thing I get to do. The next thing that the, that the next stage of life allows me to do. But, but think more than that. Think about it in the context of relationships. Think about the deepest, most substantive, most meaningful relationships that you have. 
right? When those relationships started, you didn't find out a little bit of info, find, you, you, enough to find out, hey, we click or, or we really connect. And this, this, man, this is a good friendship. This is a good relationship. Like, I want to know more about this. And then say, and I'm done now. I don't want to know any more information about you. Please do not share. I've had plenty. Well, maybe some of you do, but you shouldn't. You, you shouldn't stop there. Because when you, when you learn more about someone, when that, that's how the relationship deepens and gets richer. My wife knows me better than anyone. And that's my favorite thing about being married. She knows me. And the more I know her, the more I love her, the more I fall in love with her. That, that's why that matters, growing in the substance of that relationship. Man, that's how things get richer. Growth is the goal, but the steps don't all look the same. Because we're different and our journeys are different. We're not all at the same place. The Bible talks about this in a couple different ways. First, in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Hebrews 6 takes it another step. And says, so let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. And so God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. Now, if you're sitting there and you're going, okay, I think I get it, but what? That's fair. So let me give you a picture. Let me give you a, a way to understand that. My family loves ham, like borderline irrationally loves ham. Like our ham budget needs to be cut back. We've, my wife and I talked about this. Like I, they love ham. And my 10-month-old, when he eats ham, it looks like this. This is how his ham looks. It's cut up into tiny little chunks, and he's adorable. He'll reach out his little hand and grab a handful and then kind of move it this way and sometimes get it in his mouth and sometimes like in his ear or sometimes like just in this general vicinity. But that's how he eats it because we got to cut it up small because he, he, his motor skills are just refined enough to grab something, usually my beard, which hurts. <laughs> but it's just he's just grabbing what's there. And so we got to cut it up small so it doesn't shove too much in and choke himself. This is what he needs to eat him. Like, this is how he can take, this is what works for him for how old he is. Now, my six-year-old daughter also loves ham. And she loves ham this way. She likes to make a little ham sandwich. She takes a little bread, takes some ham here, some delicious ham. Look at that. Spread that out on the bread. Wonderful. Put the top on. And that's what she likes. No, I didn't miss any steps. Literally, that's it. Bread and ham. It's like, it's like prison food there. It's like bread and ham. <laughs> that's what she likes. Like nothing else. We try and it's like, there's this great world of condiments you could try. Nope, that's what she wants. And that works for her. She's six years old. I mean, she, she just turned six, so it's, she hasn't even been eating ham sandwiches that long. Like for her, this is, this is the pinnacle of ham experience right here. It's like, you took ham and put it in a bread wrapper? They do that? And it works for her but I don't want to eat that. I, I like ham too, but when I eat ham, I want to eat ham. Like I want to, I want to do this thing. If we're going to do it. I want to do it. I want to start with some fancy bread. I got a little sourdough here. It smells delicious. And you need a little ham. And I'm like, I'm, I'm an adult. I, I want enough ham that I know I'm eating ham. So I'm like load that thing up with some ham there. Uh, this is aged, sharp, extra sharp cheddar cheese because it's just like the greatest thing ever. You can't ever have too much cheese. Cheese is good on everything. 
put some cheese on it, need like a nice big old slice of tomato, big old piece of lettuce, a little bit of mayo, don't get crazy. Don't get crazy with your mayo, just a little bit, just a splash to know it's there. And then I love spicy brown mustard. Any spicy brown people? Yeah, because if I'm eating mustard, I want to know I'm eating mustard. Put some mustard on there, and then my... That's tame. That's tame. I don't want you to judge me, so I'm like holding back a little bit. But then the secret ingredient is, is what I do is I add salt and vinegar chips right on top of that thing. Right on top of that. And you close that up. Now that's a sandwich. That's a sandwich. That is, that's, a, that's the kind of sandwich I want to eat. And you know why? Because I'm an adult. And I've had more stuff, and I like more flavors, and I like textures, and I, I've experienced different things, and so I know that, that, that there's more available. I don't have to settle for this because I know that there's more. I mean, this works for my 10-month-old because that's what he, he can take, and that works for my 6-year-old because that's what she, it works for her right now. But I know there's more. I want more. I want to experience more. And this is exactly what the Bible's talking about. It's not an age thing. It's not a, a chronology of life thing, but rather where we are in our spiritual journey. Because when we're new to this, if you've come to know Jesus recently, then, then it's all brand new. And it's, it's a ton of stuff. And where do you start? And that's why it talks about spiritual milk or, or breaking it down into bite-sized chunks because that's what you need. That's what sustains you. It's, it's the basic fundamental stuff about that, who God is and how he loves us and sent his son, Jesus, to come to earth as a man and live the life we should have lived and die the death we should have died. That's what we need. But as we progress, as we grow, we're ready for more. We're ready for more substance and, and more richness. We're ready for, for more experience. We're ready for, for bigger things. And, and as we continue to grow, we can take even more. Now, this isn't about just accumulating knowledge, though I am a trivia fan, and so I do just like that stuff. But it's not just about gathering facts about God, right? God doesn't love you more based on the amount of knowledge you have. There's, you don't get upgraded to a penthouse suite if you can like name all the books of the Bible in reverse order. Like That doesn't happen that way when you get to heaven. But what it's about is understanding more about who God is and how to experience him and how deeply he loves us and how transformational that truth is. God wants to know him better because of how much that affects us and shapes us. If I'm eating diced up ham for the rest of my life, I'm missing out because there's more to experience. That's what God wants us to know, whether or not you know it. There is more to experience, and there's more out there. It's all about taking the appropriate next step where, based on where you are and what God is doing in your life. So if we know next steps are important. Why don't, why don't we take next steps? Why don't we do that? I love this, this statement in Luke 5 where, where Peter says, we worked hard all last night. It didn't catch a thing. I think we get a glimpse there of our own hearts through Peter, because it seems as if Peter had no issue when Jesus was speaking from his boat, right? He had still had a long, unsuccessful night when Jesus asked to speak from his boat, but when Jesus offered fishing advice, Peter pushed back, right? He had a long, unsuccessful night fishing. We don't really see any concern there, but when Jesus says, push out into, into deeper water, essentially giving, as the fishermen must have thought, bad advice, Peter pushes back a little. How ironic that what Peter thought was bad advice turned out to be in, incredible. It, it's almost like Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. We get caught up in some of those same patterns. 
I mean, that's similar to how we'll listen to Jesus in the areas we decide are up for grabs, but in the areas that we hold dearly, in the things we really care about, and and the things that often define us, we're quick to push back. We're quick to push back. We don't take next steps for a lot of reasons. Sometimes it's because we don't know where to start. We don't know where to start. And this is the point where I'd like to say, I know exactly what each of you should do, but I don't because we're all different and we're all on a a different journey. And sometimes that can be scary. We're like, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. Sometimes we think we know better. That God's asked us to do something or we feel this nudging and we're like, yeah, I don't want to do that or I don't need to do that. Sometimes we realize that what God is asking of us is hard that it's intimidating. And I would say that's absolutely true because when God calls us to to take next steps, he's calling us out of our comfort zone. He's calling us to take faith steps, to take a risk. That requires something of us. That takes effort on our part. And that's where we get stuck. It's like, well, shouldn't it be easy? Who said that? Who said it would be easy? Bible doesn't ever say it'll be easy. The Bible says it'll be worth it. There may be times that we feel like something's holding us back, like we can't take our next step because of something going on in our life. And we give in to this false perception that we have to take care of a big issue before we can move forward when the irony is the opposite is actually true, that God loves us and chases us down in the midst of our stuff and growing in our understanding of who God is and how much he loves us. I mean, that's, that's all part of taking a step of faith. That the more we grow in that knowledge, the easier it takes a step of faith to come, and the more steps we take, the more we see God work. It's this beautiful cycle. And what hits me in that is I see that so true in my life. Because when I think about the seasons of life where I've struggled or the seasons of life where I've felt disconnected from God, the seasons of life when I haven't wanted to take the steps in front of me that God has called me to take, as I look back, I realize that's on me, that's not on God, that God didn't remove himself from me, that God wasn't distant, that God didn't abandon me, that I'm the one that left. I'm the one that turned away. I'm the one that wandered. I'm the one that said, I don't need you right now. But God faithfully pursues me, faithfully pursues us, and invites us to walk with him, invites us to take the next step that he's laid out for us because he knows that's what we need. He knows that that's the path to the life that we desperately want to know. So where does that take us? Where do next steps take us? One of the reasons I love this story is we see that taking that next step allows us to experience a richness that we can't find on our own. Peter caught a ton of fish. It literally, and I'm using that word correctly, caused two boats to sink. Like, that's a ton of fish. Peter's not doing that on his own. That's not a normal Thursday. If it was, they wouldn't have been blown away. Their response tells you they've never seen anything like this. This never would have happened had he not been willing to trust Jesus and follow him and take that step. And what I love even more is that this is a simple fisherman from the Galilee region who went on to travel all over the world at that point, to travel with Jesus, to play a key role in spreading the good news about him, to being used by God to communicate about his kingdom, experiencing stuff he never would have if he hadn't been willing to follow. 
Peter's life was so much richer because he was willing to take that step. He was willing to follow Jesus. And I love what he says in verse five. He gives all the reasons why this isn't gonna be worthwhile, but he says, but if you say so, I'll do it. But if you say so, I'll do it. Are you willing to say, but if you say so? Peter's saying, I don't understand what you're asking. This doesn't seem to make any sense, but if you say so, I will do it. Are you willing to say, but if you say so? When God has called you to do something hard or uncomfortable or called you to do something difficult or is requiring something of your life, when he wants something more for you that's gonna mean change that you don't necessarily love, are you willing to say, because you said so, I'll do it? Because what he knows about us growing in our relationship with him and taking these steps is that it draws us closer to God. It develops our faith. Philippe Petit, the the guy who walked across the World Trade Center, said this after his walk. He said, I started putting a wire up in secret and performing without permission. Notre Dame, the Sydney Harbor Bridge, the World Trade Center. And I developed a certitude, a faith that convinced me that I will get safely to the other side If not, I'll never do the first step. You know what he's saying? Because he had taken steps and it had worked out, he was willing to take more steps. Because he had taken steps successfully, he was willing to take future first steps that that built faith in him. And that's what God is saying to us. We, We can point to examples where God has been faithful in our lives. If you can't think of any, I got an entire book of examples of God being faithful. It's called the Bible. It's our collective history of God proving himself over and over and over again. And we can look at that and say, because you have been faithful, I know you will be. And that gives us the confidence and the faith to take steps that would otherwise be impossible. That gets us where we long to go. To experience a depth of meaning and satisfaction in our souls that we can't find any other way. Psalm 37 says it like this, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives and that's good news, but it keeps going. Though they stumble, they will never fall for the Lord holds them by the hand. God is calling us to take steps of faith, steps of risky steps, but he's saying, I am there with you. I am walking with you. I am holding your hand. I will never let you fall. Folks, it's an act of obedience. When Jesus says, because I called you to, because I said so, are you willing to say okay? That's what active obedience looks like. It's being willing to step out. It's being willing to trust even when it doesn't make total sense. And the good news is that these next steps, right, these faith steps, they often seem much bigger than they actually are. That when you get through them, you realize the point and the purpose behind it and how your feelings and fears shaped your understanding of it. If we're not willing to take these steps, we miss out. God isn't asking us to do this out of some pride he gets from bossing us around. God is saying that the life you want to know, this is how it's found, It's a spiritual journey. We won't ever arrive at the destination until we come to the end of this life and move on to the next. That there are always more steps to take. So how do we take those steps? How do we take them? 
How do I figure out what my next step is? And I think that's a fair question. That's a fair question. I got bad news. Not only do I not know what each of your next steps may be, sometimes your next step is leaning into the pain or the hardship that you're currently going through. Sometimes that's your next step. It's asking, what is God trying to teach you right now? What's God trying to do in your life right now? Folks, when we try and figure out what's next, where God's trying to grow us, the question we need to wrestle through is, are you spending time with God to find out and to listen and to understand what he's saying? Because man, I'm guilty of that too, of just being busy, of having all this noise of life going on that that I wanna know what God's calling me to do, but you know what, I'm not listening. It's having a one-sided conversation I'm just yelling into the phone talking about me and I've never stopped to go, God, what are you saying? When we think about how do we take that next step, right? How do we do that? I wanna give you just one idea. It starts with action. Put yourself out there. There's a decisiveness to taking a next step. I've been a pastor for a while and I've had a lot of conversations with people where they've shared their heart and said they don't feel connected Talked about church, a reason for their, dis, their disengagement, why do they not come? Well, I went and I didn't feel connected and it just, it, it didn't feel welcoming and so I stopped going. And what I want you to hear me say is, that's fair sometimes and I'm sorry. We, what we care very much about as a church, about helping you feel welcome, that's why we do what we do the way we do it. We wanna make it as easy as possible for you to feel welcome, but, but that's not all there is because what we're well aware of as a staff is there's only so much we can do because... The reality is, if you're not willing to engage and put yourself out there, then nothing we do will really matter. When I hear people say, well, I just didn't feel connected, my question is, how long did did you try? Did you share that with anyone? Did you make an effort? Did you ask for help? Did you reach out to the church and say, can you help me find my place here? We will do whatever we can to make that happen, but if you're not willing to do it, there's nothing really we can do. But you need to know our heartbeat as a staff is, is if you let us know, we will do whatever we can to help you find your place here. Because there's no connection fairy floating around. Right? There's no connection fairy that like sprinkles connection dust and you're like, I feel connected. And, and the reality is also this, name me one place in your life that you went to one time and felt perfectly connected. It just doesn't work that way. Are you willing to put yourself out there? Are you willing to say, can you help me find my place here? Are you willing to talk to someone the way that you want someone to talk to you? Are you willing to welcome someone the way that you want to be welcomed? I get that it's hard. I feel it too. But taking your next step involves actively doing something, putting yourself out there. And start where you are today. Don't get stuck looking ahead. Don't get stuck looking 100 steps down the road because that can be overwhelming and discouraging as it looks like we're so far from where we want to be. Start today. What can you do today? Ask for help. Maybe it's as simple as that. Maybe it's as simple as letting someone know about what next step you're thinking about taking. How can you help someone else take a next step? 
What have you been uniquely equipped to do to help someone else grow and move forward? These are big questions. These are big questions. What's your next step? Where is God asking you to go out into deeper water? Where is he asking you? Folks, I get that it's, it's easy to walk out and think to yourself, I'll get to my next step tomorrow. I get that. It's really easy to leave here without thinking through what your next step is. This is a big room with a lot of people and life is distracting and it can be really easy to stay static and lose the energy to move forward. We can easily forget why next steps are important, but what if we could sit down together and talk? Here, come on over, have a seat. Let's chat. If we could sit down and talk together, what would you say? What questions do you have? What are you wrestling with? I wish I could sit down and talk with each and every person here. I, I would love that. But that's probably not going to happen. And not just because the Eagles and Colts are playing today. <laughs> but the good news, folks, is that you don't have to talk to me to know what your next step is. Because I'm not the one in the chair. You don't need to talk with me. The one in the chair is God, that you're... Heavenly Father, the creator of the universe who, who loves you and knows you, that he is available to talk with. So if God was sitting here in the chair, if God is sitting right here, what would you say to him? What would you say to him? To the God who knows more about you than you know about yourself. The God who wants you to understand more about who he is and how much he loves you and, and who knows exactly what your next step would be. What would you say to him? And what would he say to you? What would he say to you? Would he say something like, maybe your next step is finding a place to serve, like Brennan talked about earlier. Or maybe it's joining a life group and being willing to, to dive into life with a group of people and, and share your celebrations and your struggles and, and your life together. Or maybe it's giving sacrificially back to God at what he's first given to you. But maybe your next step is more personal than that. Maybe it's giving voice to the questions that you've been asking in your heart. Maybe it's giving voice to the doubts that you're wrestling with. Maybe it's letting go of pain that you've experienced. Maybe it's surrendering more of yourself to Jesus and letting him into more and more of your life. What is it for you? If you're here this morning and you're not yet sold on, on this Jesus thing, maybe your next step is as simple as being willing to come back next week. And if you're here and you've been a follower of Jesus longer than I have been alive, what's your next step? Because we don't ever reach the finish line in this life. There are always steps to be taken. There is never a point at which we go, I've got nothing else to do. What is your next step? Because God is saying to you, you've come so far. What's next for you? What's next? Jesus is asking you to do something, to take your next step of faith. Are you willing to say to him, I will, because you say so?